Well, good evening. So glad that you're here tonight as we continue, well, as really we begin our sojourn through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Last week was our first session, and it was simply an introduction. We covered quite a bit of uh, history, and we will continue taking a look at history as we begin tonight discussing the seven churches of Revelation. And we're going to see the importance that they have and how it corresponds in a magnificent, beautiful way with uh, church history as we go through in chronological order the seven churches of Revelation. Before we begin, though, I'd just like to give a, uh, a quick update from Afghanistan. I appreciate so very, very much your prayers for Abraham and his family in Afghanistan. I just learned this week that three of his good friends were killed uh, in a very gruesome way that I will not begin to describe tonight because of their faith in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned last week, Afghanistan is the most dangerous country in the world to be a believer. And yet, in spite of that, Abraham, his wife, his daughters and sons, five children, uh, plus his wife and himself, are holding an underground church service every Sunday morning, our time, in Afghanistan. And the Orchard Church now has an underground church in the most closed and dangerous country in the world, in Kabul, Afghanistan. Please pray for Abraham and his wife and children. You can just imagine perhaps just a little bit of the consequences that they would pay particularly the women in the family if they were ever found out ever discovered uh, there is a concerted effort right now to eliminate those that would dare speak publicly on any media whatsoever including social media about the um, anything that's less than perfect coming from the Taliban government uh, let alone the atrocities that are being committed by the Taliban government. Uh, I can share this with you, that we have tried a number of different ways through paramilitary organizations, through smuggling, all these different things that you've read about in the news to get Abraham and his family here to the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. Uh, and yet we feel that God would have us do things legally all the way. And so... They have uh, obtained almost all of their documents legally through the Taliban government of Afghanistan, which is no small miracle. The only thing that, uh, the, the major thing that we're waiting right now as far as documents would be the visas for the government of Pakistan. And so we are hoping to get them to Pakistan and then I can't wait to get on a plane and go back to Pakistan where I've been many times meet them and come with them from Pakistan right here to the Roaring Fork Valley in Colorado where he will have a magnificent powerful ministry among uh, people from Afghanistan, Pakistan, that part of the world that are living here in Colorado. So please pray for them if you would. Uh, it's, a, it's a time to pray. The Lord is providing in just wonderful ways the expenses that are necessary. You can imagine the fees that have to be paid to get these visas and this and that. So God is providing. 
and we just appreciate your prayers very, very much. But isn't it wonderful that the Orchard Church has a Orchard Church underground in Afghanistan, and I've been very careful what I have said uh, because I know that this is being streamed, this is being recorded, and people are watching this study on the book of Revelation across the country and uh, in the South Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu, and who knows where else. So thank you for your prayers there. Number two, if you are here for the first time tonight, we're so glad you came. Come when you can. Leave early if you need to. Come late if you need to. That's okay. You don't have to be here every week. We're going through the book of Revelation, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, and if you miss a week, well, you can pick it up online and you can come back the following week. So everybody's welcome at any time. Uh, we have a syllabus that we're already behind in our schedule, but we'll try to get caught up. And we will cover the entire book of Revelation. One of the questions last week, are we ever going to open up the book of Revelation and look at it? Or is it just going to be notes about Revelation? No, we're going to read every verse in Revelation. We're going to read every verse. Why? Well, two reasons. Number one, the Bible tells us to. Number two, it's the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing to those who read it out loud and those that hear it read out loud. And we'll talk more about that tonight, what it means to read out loud. But even just if you hear the book of Revelation being read, just a verse or a chapter or a passage, God promises a blessing from that particular book. So, yes, we will be doing that. We'll be starting in verse 1 tonight. Uh, number 3 is if you have not given either Robin or Lori especially your name and email address, you'd like to get updates, notes, this and that, we would love to have your name and email address. There is Robin right there. And uh, Lori is uh, around here someplace. Uh, there's Lori right there next to her handsome hus husband, Dave. Uh, so please uh, give Lori or Robin, especially Lori, since she has the list, your name and email address. It's not required. You're not required to do so, but it would be helpful. Uh, and I think it would be helpful for you as well as for us if you did that. Well, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can go through the book of Revelation tonight. We thank you for this promise from your word, and we pray, Lord, that not only would we be blessed, but we would be a blessing to one another here tonight uh, in this study and as we go forth to share the good news, what we're learning through this book. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we left off last week with uh, 15 reasons why I personally believe that the church, that's us, those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those that have committed their lives to our Lord, will be taken up to meet Jesus in the air in what is called the rapture. We spoke about that last week, that the word rapture is not found anywhere in the Bible, in Latin, in Greek, or Hebrew. It is a word that is translated from the Greek words being snatched up or taken out of this world. We also talked last week that every single prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before we meet our Lord in the air has already been fulfilled. We're going to be going over this again and again through the course of this study. Do not confuse that event, which we call the rapture, with the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is a completely different event 
That will take place after the tribulation, and I've given you notes, and we'll talk about that more in the class. Uh, so we talked about 15 reasons why I personally believe, and I would say the majority of people that call themselves evangelical Christians believe that the church will not go through this terrible time that we'll be looking at later on called the tribulation. The first half of the tribulation, the second half of the tribulation, which is called the great tribulation. Uh, we'll be also talking a little bit more about that tonight, but as the weeks go on, you'll be seeing more and more why I believe this way. So there in your notes, uh, I hope you uh, found that helpful. Have you found the notes helpful? Good. And once again, if you want to review this, you can go online, uh, theorchardlife.com, and uh, find uh, the teaching there. So that brings us to the events of the rapture. What does the rapture look like? Well, number one, it's in your notes. It's called the events of the rapture. Jesus Christ will descend from heaven where he is already. Jesus is there right now. What's he doing? He's building a beautiful place for us. He is there right now preparing a place for us. How do I know? The Bible tells me so in John chapter 14. He is there, but he is going to descend from heaven. When his father, that's God the Father, says, go, the son, God the son, still 100% God, but also 100% man, will say, yay, and he will let out a shout, and he will descend from heaven. Number two, our Lord will shout as he descends in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. Number three, he will resurrect Christians who have already died before we are caught up to meet in the air. Our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, our loved ones, those that have already died that are believers, they will precede us. They will go up into the air ahead of us, and then there's going to be a grand reunion in the clouds. This is all going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I've given that in your notes. Number, th number 4. Uh, we will hear the voice of the archangel. And tonight we're going to spend a fair amount of time talking about angels. Uh, and I'll give you a little spoiler alert. Are we going to become angels? No, we will not become angels. But we're going to talk about angels. Uh, but the voice of an archangel will sound and... Uh, and then we will hear the trumpet call of God. So just as the, in the traditional Jewish wedding, when there's the voice of the groom saying, yes, the father has said, now I get to go and get, meet my bride. And then the trumpets and the clarinets and the castanets and the cymbals and all those classic Jewish instruments uh, perform a little band winding through the streets of Jerusalem to greet the bride and escort the bride back to the place of the ceremony. Likewise, there will be a trumpet call of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, and then 6, that's us, we who are alive will be changed by having our bodies made immortal. Our bodies are going to be changed completely. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us we'll recognize one another, we'll know one another, uh, but our bodies will have no more aches or pains or imperfections of any type. Uh, there'll be no more COVID or Omicron or any of that, no more arthritis or need for glasses or any of that. We'll have new bodies 
And uh, that will happen as we then, number seven, are caught up or raptured to meet our Lord in the clouds and to be reunited with the believers who had died earlier. And it will be a wonderful, glorious reunion. It's going to be better than any family reunion. No talk about politics and uh, no talk about religion because religion is left behind. Politics is left behind. It's a relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. Face to face we'll see him and it will be a wonderful, wonderful reunion in the air. Number eight, you'll see it in your notes. Christ will take us to his father's house. Remember we have these room additions as we talked about in the traditional Jewish wedding ceremony but these room additions aren't going to be granny flats they're going to be mansions wonderful wonderful mansions and don't worry the person that has their mansion next to your mansion will be conformed into the image of Christ they're not going to be cantankerous they're not going to be uh, political of a different persuasion or ideologically different persuasion they're going to be like Christ and it doesn't get much better than that of having a neighbor exactly like Christ uh, and then finally verse 9 we will always be with our Lord first Thessalonians chapter 4 now the most significant truth in biblical prophecy you see that in front of you is the return of Jesus Christ it's mentioned 329 times in the Bible this is the return of Jesus Christ it is the second most frequently mentioned doctrine in all of scripture. Only the topic of salvation is addressed in all of the Bible more than the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ is addressed more than the first coming of Jesus Christ. 216 chapters in the New Testament contain 318 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I've done the math for you. That's about one verse out of every 30 refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. All but four of the New Testament books contain teachings regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now the most important single passage of prophecy in the entire Bible is called the Olivet Discourse. For those of you going with us to Israel, and there's still a few places open if you're interested, the information is, uh, well, we have some brochures up here at the front. You can help yourself or see Lori uh, or go online. The information is in your notes. We will be going to the Mount of Olives. We'll be going right there where Jesus taught about his return. It is on the Mount of Olives that Jesus will return again. He ascended from the Mount of Olives. He will return from the Mount of Olives. And uh, we can study that and read that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, 7, 8 through 9, Revelation chapters 2, all the way through chapters 20. But the Olivet Discourse is where he taught this. It gives us more information about future events than any writings of any other religion in the world. So I've given you a chart. It's kind of a, you might have to get the magnifying glass out or put on your uh, uh, you know, your spectacles to read it. I'm sorry, but I wanted to get it on one page. A timeline starting with the church, and that's where we are right now. We are in the church age. And the next big event in God's timeline is the rapture. Immediately following the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ. You can follow it down the timeline. Then the marriage of the Lamb, 
then the rise of the Antichrist, then the tribulation. That's 1260 days to be exact. Then the great tribulation, another 1260 days to be exact. Then the first battle of Armageddon. Then the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is in chronological order. Remember the rapture and then later on after these things, the second coming of Jesus Christ when he, his feet touched down on the Mount of Olives. And uh, then the binding of Satan, the marriage supper uh, will take place after that. And then the millennial kingdom, the millennium means 1,000 years. Then a final rebellion, oh, World War IV, a final rebellion, a second battle in Armageddon. Uh, and in Israel, we'll go right to the epicenter of the Valley of Megiddo. The Valley of Armageddon will have an, uh, a current events briefing from an officer in the Israeli Defense Force. We'll have the Bible in one hand, the newspaper, so to speak, uh, figuratively. In the other hand, we'll tie current events there, and you will be able to see, okay, this country's going to come from here and there from here, and next week I'll have a map for you, a colored map, eight and a half by 11, but it'll show how this is coming together. And then after that, the resurrection of the wicked. Yes, everybody will be raised from the dead. Every single person. What about those people that died in that terrible, terrible Holocaust in, in Hiroshima? Rob and I visited the Hiroshima Memorial uh, after I performed a wedding in, in uh, Japan about a year ago. And uh, it just brought tears to our eyes. Second to Yad Vashad, the Holocaust Memorial, in, uh, in, in Jerusalem, that memorial hit us harder emotionally than any other memorial. Uh, what about those people that were pulverized when the A-bomb dropped over Hiroshima? I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to do it. He is going to resurrect everybody. Everybody. Uh, and those that are not saved, that's not us. Those that are not, their names are not found in the book of life. That's not us. They will go to the great white throne judgment. Not us. And then the eternal kingdom where we will live forever and ever and ever. And we'll talk a lot more about heaven or eternal damnation. And we will talk a little bit more about hell. So here's a question from last week that are not in your notes. Are you with me thus far? Are the notes helpful? Okay. These are not in your notes, but what I'll try to do uh, Robin, maybe you could remind me, is next week I'll print this up and insert them in your notes so you'll have them next week. Would that be good? But this, this was asked la last week. When the saved, uh, uh, what happens the moment you die? What happens the moment you die? Well, let me go over this real quickly. The moment you die, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go directly into the presence of the Lord. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Jesus, remember, told the thief on the cross, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke chapter 23. At the moment of death, the believer passes immediately, immediately into a personal presence with Jesus Christ. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are confident, I say, 
and would prefer to be away from the body that is separated from the body by death and at home with the Lord. Immediately, we are separated from the body. That's our soul. That's us, that who makes us us. Not the body, but who we really are, the twinkle in our eye, the unique personality, the special blend of spiritual gifts and talents and skills that God has made, uh, given us, and we are present with the Lord. The soul goes to be with the Lord in heaven, but the body is buried until the day of resurrection when Jesus returns to earth. We talked, we talked about that earlier. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. When we die, our body, that's just an old King James English word, fallen asleep. Our body, my mother, my father, other loved ones that we all have, family members that were Christians, the Bible says they have fallen asleep. Their soul is not in the grave. Their soul is with Jesus. And we talked about that earlier. We'll talk about, talk about that again. In heaven, there is no time. The space-time continuum is shattered. There are new dimensions. So from the, their perspective, in heaven, my dad, who loved his mom more than anything in the world, and second, loved us kids more than anything in the world, next to the Lord, of course, we are there already. Not from our perspective, but from his perspective. Heaven is perfect. There's no sorrow. It's, anyway, so uh, Christians who die are said to be with Jesus. That's the soul uh, in the presence of the Lord. Uh, Paul described the great uh, reunion of body and soul in 1 Thessalonians 4. He said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise, uh, will rise first. So here's a, a clear promise of the future bodily resurrection for the believer. 1 Corinthians 15.5 adds to this and adds that our bodies will be raised imperishable. Our bodies will be perfect. Um, how do we know? The Bible tells us so. Our new bodies will never decay. They'll never wear out. They'll never grow old. They'll never get sick. Somebody asked uh, last week, will we all be 33 years old? Because that's how old Jesus was when he died on the cross. No, we will not be 33 years old because there's no time in heaven. We won't be old. We won't be young. We'll just be in the eternal now, and our bodies will be perfect. We'll recognize one another. We'll be able to go up to everybody, every Christian in heaven. We'll know their names, not the names that we have now, because we have a new name written down. That old, song, that old gospel song says, we have a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And the white robe angels sing the story. The, sing the story. A sinner has come home. Hallelujah. <laughs> Maybe some of you know that wonderful gospel song. But the Bible says we do have a new name written down in glory. We don't know it. Only God knows it. It's written in the book of life. And God's pencil doesn't have a big eraser. The name is not erased. Uh, so we don't have to keep accepting Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again, as some major religions teach. We don't have to keep confessing our sins over and over and over and over again to be sure that we're a Christian the moment we die. No our eternal destiny is secure in him. Uh, so if you know Jesus forever, you're going to go from the land of the dying to the land of the living. Uh, and we can face death with uh, confidence. It's interesting to note that the word cemetery 
uh, comes from a Greek word meaning sleeping place. Isn't that cool? Now, my wife would say, David, you sleep anywhere, anytime, which is true. <laughs> but, but a cemetery, we, it, it means sleeping place, which refers uh, to uh, their confidence in the promise of the resurrection. Um, now, can God raise the dead if the body has been burned or vaporized, as I talked about? No. It, it, God is God, and, and he can raise the dead, and that's his problem to figure out if by atomic blast or whatever it might be, the molecular structure is torn apart, the molecular structure is changed. God put the molecular structure together anyway. He put the atoms together. In fact, John chapter 1 tells us that by the word of Jesus, who is God, God in one, three but one. Can I explain it? No, not really. Do I understand it? No, not really, but it's, it's three and one. Jesus holds the atoms together. And Albert Einstein could not explain this. The most brilliant scientist alive can't explain this. They should be splitting apart, not just the atoms, but the subatomic particles. But by God's word, they're being held together. So he can do that. Now, we don't need to know the how of the resurrection. We just need to know the who. And the who is Jesus. So finally, once our bodies are raised, we'll be with the Lord forever. So uh, that's what I'll include in your notes next week. So if you uh, want that, we'll put that in. So let's open our Bible to chapter 1. Finally, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the reality of the resurrected Jesus. The first of three parts of Revelation. Remember the outline I gave to you. Chapter 1 is part 1. Chapter 2 and 3 are part 2. And chapter 3, all the way to the end of the book, is part 3. So here we go with part one. Revelation chapter one, verse one and two. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. As we mentioned, this, is the, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says here, right here, verse one, first few words not of St. John the Divine. So if your Bible says the revelation of St. John the Divine in its opening, uh, that's not God's word. That's just a title that somebody gave, and that's not entirely accurate. The Father gave this revelation to the Son. God the Father. The Son gave this revelation to John. And John gave this revelation to us. Now we see here that it, there was an angel sent by God. Uh, angels are essentially ministering spirits. Hebrews chapter 1. They don't have physical bodies like humans. We're not going to be angels. Angels aren't going to be us. The Bible says angels scratch, well it doesn't say they scratch their head, but that's kind of how I describe it. Trying to figure out why God loves us so much. Why does God love David Corson so much? He is such a knucklehead. He blows it over and over and over and over again, and yet he keeps loving him. He keeps loving him. The angels can't figure it out. The word angel actually comes from the Greek word angelos. Angelos, it means messenger. So in the Greek, which the New Testament was written, Koine Greek, the word angel is perhaps better translated messenger. Angels are mentioned at least 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New Testament. 
The Bible says that there are many angels. Daniel 7, Matthew 26, Hebrews 12. The Bible speaks about the creation of angels. They weren't always there. Only God, only God has always been there. Uh, have I figured that out? No. Uh, eternity? Nope. Haven't figured that. Won't either. But uh, angels were created at a certain point in, in history. Uh, the Bible says that uh, uh, they've not always existed in Nehemiah 6, Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 148. 34 of the 66 books of the Bible refer to angels. Jesus referred to angels in Matthew 8, 24, and 26, and so forth. Angels were created by God. I've given you the scripture there, Psalm 148, Colossians 1, and so forth. Angels were created before the world, long before Adam and Eve, long before the world was created, there were angels. Uh, Job 38, uh, angels were created holy. Every single angel was created holy. Ezekiel 28, Jude 6 tells us. They have an intellect. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, 1 Peter 1, they have emotions. Uh, Job 38, Luke chapter 2 and 15. They have a will, Jude 6. Because they have a will, Lucifer, um, if I can say he was the choir director of heaven, the worship leader in heaven, became jealous. He said, I will be like the Most High God. I will do this. I will do that. He had an eye problem. And he became proud. He became arrogant. There was a war in heaven. We'll talk about this later on when we talk about Satan and demons. And one-third of the angels followed uh, Satan, uh, followed Lucifer, I should say, and God cast him out of heaven. And uh, those angels are demons today. Are all demons on planet Earth? No. All demons aren't on planet Earth. We'll talk about that later on. But angels have a will. Angels exist as spirits not with mortal bodies. Hebrews chapter 1 is very clear in this. An angel can only be one place at one time. Only God is omnipresent. Satan is not omnipresent. And I don't know if any of us have ever had a direct encounter with Satan. Perhaps. But Satan can only be one place at a time. And I think he's probably after bigger fish than little old knucklehead David Corson. Uh, but the problem is not Satan in my life. With me personally, the problem is my flesh. My flesh. That's a big problem. My pride, my arrogance, my stupidity, my talking when I shouldn't talk, not talking when I should talk. On and on it goes. And then there are demons that we'll talk about later on. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. We'll talk about that later on. But in case you don't come back, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells your life. There's not room for the Holy Spirit and a demon at the same time. And we'll give you a lot of scripture that will support this. Can we be influenced by Satan? Can we be influenced by demons? Yes, we can. But can Christians be demon-possessed? No, absolutely not. Uh, angels have um, more knowledge than humans, but less knowledge than God. Only God is omniscient, all-knowing. They have more power than humans, uh, but less than God. They cannot reproduce. Uh, God made them, and that's it. They will not die. Uh, angels are organized. They're rank. I look over at my friend, uh, uh, Sergeant Randy Stevens here, 
and uh, he knows about rank. He, he knows about the military hierarchy and others. Uh, and there's a similar hierarchy in the, in the angel. In fact, Michael is named as an archangel in Jude chapter 9. Uh, there are also chief princes, uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. There are seraphim. Isaiah describes them in detail. And what they're doing, absolutely mind-boggling. And there are cherubim. The question is, uh, do babies that die, do they go to heaven and become cherubim? You know, fat, chubby little angels with wings? No, they, they don't. They are perfect in every way. Uh, cherubim are created by God as cherubim. We read about them in Genesis chapter, 22, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. Angels are continually involved in praising God because they have to? No, because they're just blown away. They're constantly learning more things about God, more dimensions, more sounds, more colors, more sights, more everything. It's just, Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. Oh my goodness. The, the, the experiences that we're going to have are just, and the angels, the same. They're just going, wow, did you see this? Wow, look at this. Constantly learning th- new things about God and his creation, and we're going to be doing the same thing. They're continually praising God. They're describing his attributes, Isaiah 6. They're singing his praises, Revelation 5. Angels announced the birth of Jesus Christ. They protected Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2. They strengthened Jesus, Matthew 4 and Luke 22. They explained to humans his resurrection after he was crucified, uh, Matthew 28, and his ascension, Acts chapter 1. Angels were there explaining these things. Angels carry out God's government. They're his servants. Psalm 103, they're his messengers. We talked about that. Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. They can be involved in controlling nature. Uh, Boy, some stories that I've heard, maybe you've seen or witnessed about miraculous things taking place with storms and this and that. Angels can control nature. Revelation 1 and 16. They control nations. 2 Kings 19. Um, uh, angels will perform future judgments for God in Matthew 13 and Revelation 15. Angels protect God's people. Are you God's people? Yep. Not because of what we've done or what we haven't done. Nothing to do with us. We are God's people because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've received that gift. And angels protect us and we have guardian angels. We'll talk about that a little bit. Isn't that cool? I, I, I hope that I get to meet my guardian angel. And my guardian angel will scratch his head figuratively speaking, and say, I can't figure out why God loves you so much. You let him down over and over and over and over again. You let other people down. You let the church down. You let just about everybody down, David. Yeah, but he still loves you, and you're here with him in heaven forever and ever and ever. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, They're sent to serve believers. Angels service, Hebrews chapter 1. They protect us. Uh, Psalm 34, Daniel 6, they oppose our enemies. Oh my goodness. For those of you that may have uh, encountered uh, combat or other uh, battles of, of, of sort, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to see how the angels were there protecting us? Um, they, they're specifically assigned as guardians of individuals. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. I, I think of my wife, Robin. She's traveled around the world bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and she's made numerous trips high up in the Himalayas uh, with a look of determination on her face. She just um, puts her trekking poles down, and she knows that every step is up from where we get off the truck 
no more roads, no more vehicles, no more motorcycles or bicycles or anything. It's only by foot to get way up to these 14,000 foot elevation villages along the Tibetan-Nepalese border where she's, along with our team, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then coming back down, uh, there's a lot of yaks up there. Y'all know what yaks are. And they live way up, high elevations. And uh, they're, they're, they're cranky. They're just cranky. They're fascinating animals, but they're cranky animals. And I can remember walking back down the trail, a several-day trek to get back down to the road where we get picked up and make our way back to Kathmandu. A yak came charging, charging down the trail. We had a cliff, a mountain on one side, and one of these drop-offs that go, you know, 50,000 feet down. Well, not that much, but a lot of feet down. On the other side, you know these trails on the mountains? You, you, you know that from Colorado. And this yak came charging down, butted me, but I had a big backpack on. So I just kind of felt this bump, ran around me, because they, they're very nimble on these little trails, and charged right at Robin and butted her. But she didn't have a big backpack on, and Robin went off the trail. And it was straight down hundreds of feet, hundreds of feet, straight down. Do you know what these Bobo dolls are? Are some of you old enough to remember? You blow up these Bobo dolls. Um, they're, they're what kids play with, and they're anywhere from two feet to maybe five feet tall. And at the bottom of this inflated doll, a clown usually, is some sand. So when you punch the Bobo doll, it just bounces right back up. You punch it, it bounces right back up. Bunches, you know, that kind of maybe had an influence on my joining the Marine Corps because I kept hitting the Bobo doll and bounced bounced back back up. But this yak hit Robin and off she went on the trail like the Bobo doll, just off her whole body. Only her feet were touching the trail. I mean, she was almost, not quite, but almost at a 90 degree where she was, not quite, but almost, where she was going to go off into the dark space. And, but then she just bounced right back up from a Bobo doll. She had a word or two to say to the yak, and the yak continued on merrily on its way. She wasn't harmed at all. I can't help but think that maybe, I can't prove it, but maybe that was the hand of an angel, just picking Robin up and say, Robin, I know you married some cranky old guy that does strange things. Here, I'm going to put you back on the road. You just continue. I'm with you. Uh, I don't know, but we do know that we are given guardian angels. The answer prayers, Acts 12, they bring physical provisions. Uh, You remember uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, where uh, they brought physical provisions, food to Elisha. You remember that. They assist believers at death. And so there are those that say, when we die, an angel escorts us up to heaven. That very well could be. And the reference there is Luke chapter 16, verse 22, and Jude 9. There's only one chapter in Jude, so it's verse 9. We don't know that for certain, but there's evidence that that very well could be the case. So let's continue. Verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the word of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Now, the Greek word translated reads literally means to read out loud. That's what it means. Not just reading it silently, but reading out loud. Why? When I read the Bible, whether it's on my phone app or on a computer or paper copy, I tend to kind of skip over certain passages 
for different reasons. And I really like to focus on those that I've underlined, starred, put a smiley face by it, highlighted, whatever the case may be. But when we read the Bible out loud, I have found that I read verse by verse. Those verses that I've underlined and those verses that I haven't underlined. And that's a great way to to read the Bible out loud. There's something mystical, there's something powerful about reading the word out loud. I don't fully understand it, but I encourage you to do so. Um, Whether it's in your car, uh, you know, keep your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel, but if you can, read out loud. Or at home, walking around, reading out loud, there's power there. Verse 4, this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Asia refers to modern-day Turkey. Istanbul uh, is the big city in Turkey. It's the only city in the world that straddles two continents. Um, Fascinating. Robin and I have led mission teams there, and it's a fascinating place to to go. So Asia refers to modern-day Turkey. Grace in the Greek is charis or charis, Uh, and and it it means grace. Uh, Grace is God not giving us what we do deserve. Mercy is God, I'm sorry, grace is, (laughs) mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. I know what I deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve hell. That's mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Did you follow me there? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. So, Peace in the Hebrew, I think you all know this, is shalom. And so grace and peace are combined in a powerful greeting here. Because we can't have peace until we understand uh, the love of God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is, always was, and is still to come, in verse 4, refers to God the Father. The sevenfold spirit in this passage refers to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. We find that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, one, understanding, two. Spirit of counsel, three, might, four, knowledge, five, and, this, and the fear of the Lord, six. Uh, I missed one there, but there's seven there. Uh, Jesus Christ completes the Holy Trinity found in this passage. Verse 7, look. He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. All the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Um, In the original text, John writes out the word, Alpha. I am the Alpha. Many of you know the first four letters of the Greek alphabet, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. A lot of people know that. But John writes out the word Alpha as the Holy Spirit inspired him to. 
but he only uses the first letter of omega. So he writes out A-L-P-H-A in the English, alpha, but he only uses the first letter of the word omega in this passage. Why? I believe it's because the Lord is the beginning and without end. It just keeps going and going and going. There is no end. We'll spend eternity exploring his nature. Verse 9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the city of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John is writing as a pastor of the seven churches under his care. Last Sunday, Pastor Daniel mentioned uh, a missionary that we are praying for and we're supporting in Vanuatu. He born and raised in Vanuatu. His name is James Nicholson. And he has started numerous churches in this most primitive and one of the most remote areas of the world. And he goes and encourages the pastors. He has to hike through days and days and days in the jungle. Uh, if you want to see some pictures, come on our website, see Robin or I, and you'll see pictures. That's where I lived for several years and go back. And it's not easy. He's traveling through hot, steamy, humid jungles, fording rivers, slipping and falling literally hundreds of times because the mud is more slipperier there than any place on, on earth. And he's going to encourage these pastors. Some of these pastors of these new churches just know John 3.16. That's all they know. They don't have the Bible necessarily in their language. We're getting the Bible in Bishlama. We're helping them learn to speak Bishlama, which is an easy language to learn, the national language of Vanuatu. But there's all these tribal languages. And so he's going. He's kind of helping the pastors of these local churches. And that's what John was doing to these seven churches under his care. Now, these people were being tortured. They were being persecuted. They were being slaughtered in unspeakable ways. He was with them during this time. He was their dear friend, and he went through persecution himself, as we shall see. Um, and, and although he was alone, he didn't forsake worshiping in the Spirit. So my question tonight to you is, how do you worship in the Spirit when you're all alone? Uh, there's been a lot of us that have been alone during the previous year due to COVID or other reasons. We've been at home alone. And maybe you found that that has been one of the most meaningful times in your life as far as worshiping. I think back of my days long, long ago as a combat Marine in Vietnam. Uh, today, the world is celebrating Chinese New Year's. It's the year of the dragon, uh, the year of the tiger, sorry. Uh, and uh, those of us old enough to remember may remember the Tet Offensive. T-E-T -T is, the, is the New Year's as it is celebrated in Vietnam, the Chinese New Year's. And they launched the greatest uh, combined attack. Uh, not only North Vietnam, but other countries joined in. And uh, it was the heaviest concentration of fighting at any time during the Vietnam War. And shortly after that... Uh, 
that event. I was still alive by the grace of God. And I remember Easter coming around. And there just happened to be in the bombed out village that I was in in Vietnam, a Roman Catholic church. It, the roof was gone. Uh, it was just, it was destroyed, except there was one stained glass window that was still in place. And I went there all by myself on Easter Sunday. And I read the Easter story all alone, out loud, by myself in that bombed out church. And of all the Easter's that I can remember in my life, that is one that stands out. How do you worship when you are all alone? Revelation 12, chapter 1, verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold slash, uh, sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. Your Bible might say brass, same thing. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Now the seven gold lampstands represent the seven churches in Asia, uh, and Jesus stands among them. The seven gold lampstands refer to the golden lampstand, you Bible scholars remember, that we read about in detail in Exodus chapter 25. There are three lamps on each side of a main stem. Maybe you've seen the menorah, uh, three uh, candles uh, with one uh, in the middle. And, uh, and, and I, it just reminds us of John 15, when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And of John chapter 8, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And we're told in Matthew 5 to let our light shine as well. And that can only happen as we stay connected to the stem of the candlestick, the true vine. That's Jesus Christ. It doesn't come by doing good deeds. It doesn't come by political action groups. It doesn't, and these are, these are good, these are fine. I'm not against these. But it comes only one way. That comes by being grafted in to Jesus Christ, the true vine. In verse 12, it mentions the candlestick is made of gold. More literally, it's one piece of gold that has been beaten by a hammer. Maybe you've seen uh, uh, blacksmiths. I love that. There used to be blacksmiths here, and I think there still are uh, one or two blacksmiths in the Roaring Fork Valley. But they used to be a lot more common, and they'd, they would, you know, pound the metal. And, and the blacksmith in those days would take one piece of gold and, and, and pound out in, in, in solid gold these um, candlesticks. Uh, it represents the divinity. In verse 13, we read that Jesus, uh, the term that Jesus used most often to speak about himself when he talked about himself, the son of man. That's how he described himself more than any other way. Daniel 7:13 describes the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven long before Jesus was born. In this passage, John recognizes Jesus because he had lived with Jesus for five years, for three years. He had lived with Jesus. He had seen him as the son of man, uh, as the Galilean preacher, as the glorified son of God. Then at the 
transfiguration in Matthew uh, chapter 17. His white hair that John sees here represents his wisdom and his divine nature. How do we know? The Bible tells us so in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9. His bright eyes represent his judgment of all evil. The gold sash across his chest reveals him as the high priest. That's what the high priest would wear, who goes into God's presence to obtain forgiveness of sins for the people. You remember the high priest would go once a year into the Holy of Holies, and they'd wear a rope tied around their ankle in case there was any sin in their life. They'd drop over dead, and the other priest would have to pull them out because there's no sin allowed there. But now Jesus is our high priest representing the gold, the gold sash across his chest. The sword in his mouth, it's figuratively. I've seen pictures, I've seen paintings of Jesus with this giant sword coming out of his mouth. No, it's figurative. The sword in his mouth represents the power in his message. His word is as sharp as any two-edged sword. Isaiah 49, Hebrews 4, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am, or the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. What about the keys of death in the grave in verse 18? Uh, Dear friend, remember, these keys are not to lock people up, but to set people free. That's why Jesus has come, not to lock us up, but to set us free. Jesus said, I can save you from hell eternally if you'll receive me. My desire is to set you free. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. So who are the angels of the seven churches and why are they likened to stars? Well, you already know angels are messengers. Some say that they are literally angels. Some say they are pastors of the seven churches. But we do know this. According to Daniel chapter 12, those who turn many people to righteousness will shine as stars forever. It doesn't have to be a sermon you preach. It doesn't have to be a tract you pass out. It may just be your life that others see there's something different about you. When the world is going mad, you have stability. When other people are upset, you have peace. And then they'll ask the question, why do you have peace? Why is there a smile on your face? Why are you kind? Well, if they ask me that question, it's certainly not the way I am. (laughs) I'm a cantankerous old guy. It's because Jesus is in me. Well, so concludes chapter one. Are you ready to move on to part two of Revelation? Ready? Okay. Chapters two and three, the things that are now happening. Now happening. So when we get to Revelation part three, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. That's what is going to happen. So Jesus gives seven messages to seven churches. The first one is the message to the church at Ephesus. 
chapter 2, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold stand, uh, the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Verse 4, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did first. Look how you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So, this is the beginning of the second section of Revelation. And uh, these chapters are talking about what is now happening from the time of John to the present day, when John had this revelation. So, this encompasses the chronology of church history from the beginning of the early church, Acts chapter 1 and 2, to the present. There are seven messages. They have a fourfold application. I think I put them in your notes. Number one, they're to be applied locally. The seven, the churches of the seven, uh, the cities of the seven churches are given in order of the ancient Roman postal circuit. The mail. It's kind of falling apart in our country today, isn't it? I'm sorry if any of you work for the Postal Service. Uh, we appreciate all the work you're doing. But the Postal Service isn't quite as efficient as it was uh, a few years ago. Uh, my mom would tell me that the mailman would come six days a week to her house twice a day in the morning and in the afternoon and ring the doorbell and say, here is your mail. That's how it was when my mom was growing up in the, in the 20s and the 30s. Uh, not quite like that today, is it? <laughs> but th this, was, this was the route that a mail carrier would take. In this particular order, they would start here with the church at Ephesus. Number two, they applied locally. These messages apply locally, uh, and they apply ecclesiastically. That's just a fancy word for the church. They, they address every problem, every challenge facing the local church today, as well as when they are written in John's time. And that is why those churches which faithfully teach through the Bible, like the orchard, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, are the churches that stand the test of time. They address every single problem everybody in the church is going to face. The Bible does. The Bible addresses every single problem the church is going to face, the, the nation is going to face. They apply Ecclesiastes. Number three, they apply personally. They apply to us individually. How do I know? Because every letter to every one of these seven churches ends with the words, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he was saying to the churches. So if you have ears, God help you to listen to his spirit. We can close our eyes. Our eyes, most of our eyes, almost all of our eyes have, are they called eyelashes that close? Yeah, most animals have eyelashes. 
camels, they have some really interesting eyelashes, kind of different ones for the sand and the, all the rest. Whales have different eyelashes too, uh, but we won't go into all that today. But no animal has ear lashes. We can be sleeping at night, deep sleep, and then we hear a sound, a bump in the night, so to speak. We're awake. What is that? Who is there? That type of thing. Our ears are always to be open to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Number four, they apply prophetically. When John wrote these letters to the beginning of the church age, these events had not yet taken place. Now the church at Ephesus refers to the period in church history from the years 33 to 100 AD, obviously. Why 33? That was the birth of the church, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Ephesus is about 35 miles away from Smyrna. So the mailman, mail carrier, I'm sorry, starts at Ephesus, then goes to Smyrna. It's the closest of Revelation 7 churches to the island of Patmos, where John was exiled, where he wrote the book of Revelation. It was the chief city of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It had an artificial harbor. It was accessible to the largest ships. It was one of the great harbors of the world at that time. The city stood at the entrance of a valley that reached way into the province, and it was connected via highways to other important uh, cities in, in, the, uh, in the region. So people could travel from city to city quite easily, either by land or by sea, uh, and it made, uh, Ephesus made it the most accessible uh, populated uh, destination in Asia. Now when John wrote this book in 97, the church was experiencing all kinds of problems. Um, the church had been compromised to such a degree that Jesus said in verse 5, Revelation 2, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. We're going to end in this because it's 7.30. We'll have to pick up Ephesus next week. I want to keep my word. End at 7.30. Church history should not be our model because the church has had lots of problems since its foundation from the beginning and it still has problems today. However, the book of Acts gives us God's plan for how the church is to function. So may the Bible be our guide in this local church and in local churches around the world. We're going to have to stop there because it's 7.30. One of the questions was, will we break up into small groups? Uh, no, not between 6.30 and 7.30, but you can come early and have a small group. You can stay as late as you want and have a small group because Robin and I will be the last to leave and we'll turn off the lights and we'll lock the door. So, uh, so and then one other question was, are we going to be re reading through the book of Revelation? I think by now you kind of got it. Yes, we will. And I hope next week we will finish all seven churches of the book of Revelation and then we will begin the following week the things which are to come. Did I go too fast tonight? I think maybe I did a little bit. Robin said, slow down, David. You're talking so fast. You talk almost as fast as Pastor Daniel. Nobody talks as fast as him. <laughs> but that's why you have your notes. And uh, feel free, if you have any questions, to write them down, email me, 
call me and I will try to address those the following week. Is that fair enough? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these wonderful brothers and sisters here tonight. I thank you, Father, for them, for coming out on a cold, winter, stormy Colorado evening. Snow's uh, supposed to be falling soon, and it's below freezing, and yet here they are, gathered around the fire. But we thank you, Lord, that it's not just this fire. We are gathered around the fire of your word. We're gathered around that fire that burns into our souls, pierces our hearts, changes us, refines us, and then prepares us to be used as bright and shining stars here in the Roaring Fork Valley, throughout Colorado, and beyond to the uttermost parts of the earth. We do pray for the church in Vanuatu, those new churches that the orchard has planted, for the underground church that the orchard has planted in Afghanistan. Oh God, uh, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name and give thanks. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Wow. Thanks for coming. We'll be here next week. <laughs> Thank you.